What's up, everybody? Uh, this is Matt DeMarinas from White and Blue Review coming back at you um, with the Blue Jay Beat podcast, quarantine, quarantine lifestyle. Uh, I've got my three buddies, Robbie Lula, Jacob Padilla, and Alex Sindelar. I just muted them because they wouldn't shut up uh, before I started hitting record. So now I'm going to unmute them for you all to hear. That was rude. Yeah, I know. Wasn't that a power move right there? I was like, they won't shut up, so I'm just going to shut them up. Listen, um, you mentioned my name first, so I don't care what you do. <laughs> You're first on the queue, so I have to accept it in order. Yeah, I he was the last one to join. Why is he first? I don't know. It's just that's the way they, the Zoom set it up, I guess. They, they did the power rankings on their own because I did it in alphabetical order, and they switched it up. Yeah, they were listening into the call, and they were like, obviously this Ravi guy has his, uh, has his stuff together, so we're going to put him on one. Nice. <laughs> I think that's what happened. <laughs> so, yeah, we were originally, like, BSing because we thought there was a 40-minute time limit. Now there isn't, so we're just recording now. And uh, we're probably going to go for six hours or so, maybe less, probably less. Um, I think the time limit is 24 hours for – at least on the premium account. So I'm assuming that's still going to be our ceiling. So you can have me, a 24-hour meeting? I was going to say, that's, could you even do that? <laughs> Yeah, that's that's what I was confused. So it's up to a hundred people at a time, and twenty-four hours is your time limit. That, that was my job. I would quit. I wouldn't even want to talk <laughs> yeah. to my, I wouldn't even want to talk to myself for twenty-four hours. Was this was this created for meth addicts or what? <laughs> <laughs> all right. So before we, all right. So we're already off the rails. Let's go back <laughs> on the rails real quick. We'll like I say we already got a meth addict mentioned. <laughs> we'll already steer back. Back on the rails real quick. So we got some Creighton topics to touch on. Um, we did get some questions and topics that people wanted to talk about. So uh, there's a few newsworthy items um, of late that we can um, give our takes on. And uh, I guess the first one, if we just go in an order, um, Alex O'Connell committing to Creighton. Uh, Duke transfer, played three years under an absolute psychopath in Coach K, and now he's coming to Creighton. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know if I've ever told uh, Jacob. Were you sitting next to me when for Duke, Kansas? Uh, what? No, I, I I wasn't. I wasn't covering it. Was oh no, Alex was. Yeah, that was me. Yeah, Alex was sitting next to me. Do you remember that unforgettable night? You've suddenly forgotten. <laughs> I forgot who was with me. That remember that uh, first time out with Coach K and like Kansas was up like I don't know seven to six or something. It wasn't even that bad. And he basically just like the first three words out of his mouth were all the F-bomb and he was just cussing his team out for being terrible. Yeah, and then all, all the assistants took over after that? Basically, yes. Jeff Capel, who's currently the head coach at Pitt. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was amazing. I, in fact, I watched Coach K more than I watched the game itself. Oh, there's no doubt about it. He cussed so much and I was laughing because his family is like 10 feet behind him, like all 50 of them. <laughs> little children and they're like all like f f f f f f f f f f it's like oh my god and they're like hey grandpa <laughs> grandpa hi check the fuck out again oh my god <laughs> so that's where that's where alex o'connell was now he's at creighton um so i guess i don't know uh alex since he's named after you you want to tee it off first <laughs> <laughs> Give us your take yeah, on, I, uh, on the Dukey coming to coming to Omaha. Uh, well, he's a what six foot six, 
white guy wing and he shoots okay. Um, he seems to be able to dunk the ball. Um, it's always he, good. He generally, generally plays basketball. Um, after looking at his stats, he's like, what, a 37% career three-point shooter? 36.1. Okay, sorry, I rounded up. Um, as I always you do, rounded up, you know, you rounded up one percent, point one percent, point nine percent. No, Matt. it's point one percent. Was it thirty six point one? Yeah. Okay. Well, whatever. <laughs> uh, and and, uh, and just to know, just in case you want to know what my dog thought of that, he threw up. So. <laughs> wow. But if I know if I know him, he's going to start eating it in seven seconds. So keep going. Yeah, so um, uh, he played for Duke uh, for three years um, and uh, went to high school, I think. Uh, <laughs> I watched. I watched a, about two minutes I'm gonna of. I'm going to mute you in five seconds. <laughs> no, no. I look. These are my takes. All right. I think you'll. I think you'll fit in well with Creighton's rotation. Um, he seems uh, able to play basketball, and that's what Creighton needs, especially after uh, mid leaves. So that's about uh, all the analysis that I can provide about um, a twenty-year-old Creighton. So we got we got what four or five weeks without sports, and it broke Alex. So. <laughs> <laughs> he can't talk. Although, <laughs> although I mean, honestly, this isn't too far off what his normal analysis is, like the way he generally kind of writes about Creighton basketball. It wasn't the so, analysis. It was right. the delivery. He sounded like he didn't want to say it. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's just, you know, it's just kind of tough to get, get real excited about. Um, uh, well, I mean, I, I do think it is it, it is pretty wild that a guy from Duke was like, I'm not getting enough minutes here. I'm going to go to Creighton. While a Creighton player was like, I'm not getting enough minutes here. I'm going to go to Kentucky. I do think that is pretty cool. Oh, yeah, yeah, we'll do that in a minute. So just to recap, Alex gave his take on Alex O'Connell. My dog threw up and ate it. And I got to... <laughs> but right, at, least, at, least, at least my carpet's clean and then Alex got to say stuff. So anybody else got any opinions on the Alex O'Connell edition for the Jays? I can go. Uh, I think, honestly, I think this is as good of a pickup as I could have gotten. He kind of fits in perfectly with what they need. Um, as a sit-out guy, uh, sit out this year, kind of regain his confidence and work on his game and learn the Creighton system. And then next year, he'll be ready to go as an upperclassman uh, once you lose the, I guess, what, just now three juniors, um, potentially four if Marcus Zagorowski leaves after next season. So he's a uh, guy that can slide in there and play uh, one of those wing spots for a year. Um, fill kind of fill those minutes and then it doesn't really impact your kind of recruiting efforts for high school or other transfers knowing that oh he's only there for one year uh, in terms of kind of filling a spot on the in the rotation so I think this is uh, as good of a pickup as they could have gotten just based on what they needed and especially with how many guys they hadn't quite gotten uh, gotten some traction with because they've reached out to a lot of guys but uh, I I was kind of surprised. I, I had no idea that he was considering Creighton that closely. And then just out of nowhere, I saw the commitment tweet. And I think the first thing I said was just like, whoa. 
Yeah, I kind of tend to agree with Jacob in terms of I think it's a really good fit. And also, it's just – he's one of those guys that probably had no business ever going to Duke. I mean, he was like a top 80 player coming out of high school. But unless you're top 20, top 30, you're never seeing the floor at Duke probably. So, he probably just made a bad choice in going to Duke in the first place. Well, but I can understand seeing his, the Duke dad, His dad there. played at Duke. His dad played at Duke in the 70s. So, I think there was like some – yeah, like I get why he went, but I still don't think it was a good place for him basketball-wise in terms of he just was never going to get a consistent role there. Um, well, and, and I think that's the tough part, too. You mentioned the consistent role. He actually has played for them. Like There are different stretches where he's played 25-plus uh, minutes for multiple games in a row. He's been in crunch time in some games. Like It's not like he just never saw the floor. It's just so inconsistent. He played double-digit minutes like three games in a row. And then the next four, he'd play like six or seven minutes or whatever. And the, the freshman year, he shot 48, uh, 48.9% from three, 22 of 45. Like, he shot really well. Um, only played 10 minutes a game. But he gave him a nice little spark as a freshman. Like you mentioned not a blue chip, uh, top, you know, like five-star type of guy. That next year, got a little bit more playing time. Uh, the percentage went down to 37.5%, but that's still good. Um, and then this year, for whatever reason, kind of – he started off well the first four games or so, and then it just kind of fell off a, a cliff there, shooting-wise. He kind of lost his confidence and never quite got it back consistently. And I think that's kind of – it's tough as a shooter. Like, if you're not getting – you don't know how many minutes you're going to play, where your shots are going to come from, um, it's hard to go out there and succeed. And I think that's kind of where Creighton excels, is getting the most out of shooters, giving them confidence – letting them know, hey, all right, this is where your shots are going to come from. Um, you're going to get some good looks out of the way we play. And then that's how you get guys shooting the way they have the last few years and can attract more shooters like him. He's, you mentioned 6'6". Six, six. He's got good bounce. So he's, he's real bouncy. More yeah. yeah. He's a little bit more athletic than your typical uh, white shooter. Um, so he's the kind of guy that Creighton needs to be able to succeed and continue doing what they did in the Big East in terms of a bigger wing that mm-hmm. – Skill set wise fits, but physically you can't get away with playing three six two guards anymore like they could in the Missouri Valley. So to continue to get guys that are six five six six that can play the two and the three is going to be important for creating this uh, sustain the success. Well, he I like a guy that's a little bit. He kind of reminds me a little bit of Dante DiVincenzo, just like that six five six six can play the two oh, three wing a little bit, shoot the ball, can get up and dunk it. Um, but he's got like, you know, he's really athletic, but, um, you know, I think that helps him because defensively he's not going to be a guy you have to kind of play offense defense for. I think he can be okay on both ends of the floor. Um, and if he can get, like Jacob said, if he can get that shooting stroke back and that confidence with the red shirt year, I think, um, he could be a pretty in, impactful senior for this team, um, on a roster that right now, like, as you, as you look at it, that is going to be a pretty interesting year where they're going to need some punch right away um, from a kid like O'Connell based on what they're losing just in terms of their graduation and their attrition, uh, their roster attrition. So that's who I thought of when I was just kind of like watching this game a little bit was a Dante DiVincenzo type because he can put it on the deck. Um, you can obviously play above the rim a little bit. And, you know, while he didn't shoot great his sophomore or junior years at Duke, he – has the ability to be a knockdown shooter from the outside. I mean, he was a Syracuse killer, basically, for them. He was against Syracuse. They never were able to handle him. So, 
Um, he's definitely a good catch and shoot guy, a good spot up guy, but also a guy who can who can put it on the deck and, and get to the rim a little bit and also defend. Okay, and you, like so, you mentioned, you look at it right now. Antoine Jones is the only wing they've got mm-hmm. slated to have the eligibility for 2021-22. Right. So you needed guys that can play, and he's a perfect fit for that. And like I said, step in as a senior for that one year, and then if you're able, if they're have, if they're able to have some success with that 2021 recruiting class, you've got you can bring in a pretty good freshman or two to play right away as a freshman, but not necessarily count have to count on them for big minutes right away. So then yeah. as a sophomore, they're ready to kind of step into that role. And Antoine's more of like a two, three, four type of guy, just yeah. based on his body type. You know, Alex is probably, you know, a little bit a little bit smaller. So if you think about both those guys on the floor at the same time, they can play on at the same time without having to worry about moving each other into a position they're uncomfortable with um, because they both can play on the wing in either of those positions. Well, yeah, and that's okay, the so nice thing about you Antoine is you can play him anywhere two through four. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. So what if, what if he goes through with that whole waiver thing and they're like, hey, uh, yeah, you can uh, you can play right away if you'd like to. Would you, if Tyshawn leaves for the draft, would you like O'Connell to play for next year's team as opposed to waiting two years? Um, or year? I think, Matt, you're the best equipped to answer this question because uh-huh. you've seen more of Antoine Jones and the rest of us. So you know kind of – you have a better idea of what he could give them. Uh, I think my he's definitely is, he's definitely an impact transfer. Jones is like there's no doubt about it. He's going to play. Um, I kind of think if you're just reading the tea leaves a little bit, that's why certain guys left because they probably weren't going to play over Antoine. Um, uh, and then when I just O'Connell, I like just in talking to him, he didn't feel like he was confident that even if all of that. Uh, you know, immediately eligible transfer stuff, that one-time transfer stuff gets passed, that it's going to be going into effect for this following, this upcoming season, you know what I mean? So yeah. a little bit. I've seen. But, but at the same like time, he wasn't totally resigned to the fact that he wouldn't have to, if, if need be, um, apply for a waiver and get it. I just don't know if he's in a position to get one because I don't know if he was on track to graduate at Duke in three years. So he's, I don't even know if he's a grad transfer or even close so his waiver would have to be – I don't know what he would get a waiver for, I guess, is my thing. Like, the only thing that would happen for him is the one-time transfer rule going into effect this year where he would possibly play. But right. other than that, he's totally resigned to the fact of, of sitting out and developing because I don't think there's anything that yeah. – I don't think there's anything in his situation that lends itself to getting a waiver for this next season. So I don't know. I would put it at a very low percentage chance that he's part of next year's equation. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the, it seems like it's bounced back and forth between uh, with that NCAA decision in terms of instant impact or uh, immediate eligibility transfers. Uh, Originally it was going to be this, this next season. And then they pushed decision back. They talked, we were talking about deciding in June and then, if that would go through, then it wouldn't be until the following season. But now I guess they're going to make the vote in May and then it still could be for this next season. So I don't think anybody has any idea what is going to happen with that. It seems like it's bounced back and forth three or four different times. Mm -hmm. Um, The other kind of the other thought is that with everything going on and um, that the NCAA would be next season would be kind of looser with the waivers and just like, whatever kind of 
not necessarily in, uh, institute that role right away, but kind of if you've got any kind of a case, then it's like, all right, sure, go ahead, play. Um, so I, I think there, there is a world where Creighton could get him eligible in one way or another if they, they felt like they needed to. Um, I think, but I think, I think it's best if they can make do with what they've got, let him sit the ear, and then have him as kind of that, that bridge guy. Um, so that, but that, um, now you need the guys again this year to be able to kind of hold it down this year. And yeah. that a, a lot of that is Antoine. And if they can find somebody else to kind of finish off this rotation, they've got three scholarships, not like fact, they've got two scholarships, not including Tyshawn's to work with still. Mm-hmm. Obviously Kerwin Walton's coming up on his decision April 25th. Don't necessarily feel great that that's going Creighton's way. Um, they've got some other guys they're looking at. So who knows yet if there's another piece or two they can add to this roster. But I think in a perfect world, you do let Alex sit out that next year and then have him play as that bridge guy. Yeah, I just think there's like even with – and we can talk, we'll talk about this maybe in, in when we talk about Tyshawn's decision a little bit is uh, even with – even if you wanted – O'Connell to be eligible, like you've still got guys who can play those positions. Like that's, it's funny because the reaction to Tyshawn uh, potentially leaving just from a national angle is what it does to Creighton's outlook. And I'm like, if there was one position that Creighton can not just player, forget the player. We'll talk about that. You know, Tyshawn's obviously incredible, but just from a position standpoint, Creighton can replace the wings. You know what I mean? Like they have, they're growing those things out of their ears at this point. Um, so that's why from, you know, an Alex O'Connell standpoint, like you don't need him next year. You're going to need him in, in the following season though. So preserving that one sit out year, if he's fine sitting out, I don't even think you mess with it, honestly. Yeah. Um, and the other bit of news, I guess like Davey, uh, Jalen Wyndham, Duvall State, seems like a pretty good fit for him. Um, he's obviously a knockdown shooter, but uh, – maybe not quite ready uh, for this level. You know what I mean? So yeah. the ball thing feels like a pretty good situation for him. It's close to home. Um, he can kind of, you know, work on his game a little bit. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him transfer up later in his career, but maybe right now it, this is a good move for him to get some playing time um, and to make a name for himself at a little bit of a lower level uh, and then possibly transfer up later in his career. What does everybody think about um, his move to Ball State? I mean, it made sense to me. It was it was the type of level I thought he was going to go to. I thought he would do really well at a mid-major. And it, it I kind of felt bad for him just because there was no really path forward for him to get playing time at Creighton, even though I do think he's a nice player. Mm-hmm. He's got some pretty good size. Um, obviously, he has that shooting stroke. It, it just, with, like you mentioned, kind of the glut of twos and threes on the roster right now, it didn't really lend itself to him being able to – see playing time anytime in the next two years really so I I understand it for sure on his part and I think he'll be pretty good at that level honestly mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah I think it's like we got to remember that Creighton was he hit what Georgia State or Georgia Southern or something he was committed to originally or whatever it was and Creighton was kind was of swooping at the Georgia end Georgia State Georgia State yeah so Creighton kind of swooped in at the end and picked him up hoping he was kind of like a hit a gem type of thing, but he didn't really, he didn't get other high major offers. So it was kind of, well, we've got this scholarship. Let's take a chance on this kid. 
he didn't quite show enough of a well-rounded game to be a part of the picture in the first couple of years at least. And so I think this will be good for him, go down to a level, um, hopefully get on the floor, and then that will help him kind of expand his ball handling and his defensive ability because I think those are probably the two areas that were probably holding him back from seeing mm-hmm. the floor last season. Um, you've got to be able to do a little bit more than shoot. And obviously in the limited minutes he did get out there, he kind of was even struggling with that. So I think it would be good for him to go down to a level, um, kind of get his confidence back, and hopefully that will allow him to expand his game a little bit. So did you think that maybe maybe not redshirting might have been a mistake on his part? I mean, if you think about it, he did get minutes in big-time basketball games at times. But, I mean, he didn't quite develop, I think, maybe the way that he wanted to. And maybe he thought he was going to get a few more minutes. I don't know. I, I mean, you look back at that decision not to redshirt, and you're like, but why? Well, yeah. I mean, I think the redshirt now is a little bit more valuable to the player if they don't. I don't know. I just feel like having a year where you can sit is more valuable to a player if they think they might have to move on. You know what I mean? Exactly. I just think, I just think that's something you keep in your back pocket until you know for sure you're at a spot where you're going to be there for a long time. Yeah, because okay. if he, he might have redshirted, he might have redshirted yeah. and been on practice squad and still transferred, and then he's out, of, then he has, then he doesn't have a redshirt year left. You know what I mean? Exactly. So True. he at least got some minutes this year, knowing that he'll have to sit out next year. So um, this kind of gives you, you get at least a chance to play a little bit, um, and then save that redshirt if you were to transfer. And I think, I mean, a lot kind of like with we saw with Marlon Stewart, kind of the same thing. But early on, I think Creighton knew, and he probably knew that. Yeah, maybe maybe this just wasn't the right fit for you at this time, in this point in time. And uh, Marlon didn't redshirt either freshman year, saved it, used that redshirt at North Dakota, and then he ended up having three pretty good years at that Summit League level, and was really good this season. Um, had a nice little career for them there. So it, it's all about kind of finding the right place for you. And in a lot of cases with some of these high majors, if they realize, like the coaches and the players, if they realize, yeah, maybe maybe this wasn't the best place for me or even early on you kind of realize that and then you can start planning from there um Davey yeah, Vince is the other guy with a new home I think uh maybe caught some people by surprise where it ended up being um uh he lands at Kentucky which is interesting I think because I thought I think everybody including myself thought um that playing time was his you know, his, the thing that he was yearning for and why he ended up transferring because there maybe it wasn't a path to get the playing time at the point guard position like he wants it anymore at Creighton because of Marcus Zagorowski. So does he have that opportunity at Kentucky? So I, so I think what's, uh, we've seen the last three years that Calipari has taken a grad transfer. Um, uh, Reed Travis a couple of years ago from Stanford, that was obviously kind of a more high-profile guy. He was one of the best players on the team. Mm-hmm. Last year, they had Nate Sestina, the kind of stretch four type, to kind of plug a hole on the roster. Um, and then this year, it's Davion, obviously. So I think you, looking at the roster right now, they're losing some guys. I, th- I don't think Ashton Hagens is coming back. Um, right. I uh, don't think Nick Richards is coming back. Manuel Quickly, uh, if I had to guess, I'd say he probably stays in the draft. Um, I think he's the one that's kind of up in the air a little bit more, but he was also just the SEC player of the year and um, could decide, you know, I'm just going to go for it. 
So if that's the case, uh, they're going to have just Devin Askew, the five-star freshman, who actually reclassified up a year. So he's young and is the only point guard on the roster right now. So I think what they needed was Hello? I think we just lost Jacob. No, Jacob! Oh. All right, P. Jacob. Robbie, hello? Robbie, want to pick that up? <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I think based Guys, on... Hello? Are you back? Yeah. I think he's I, back. I never left. What's going on? Well, we couldn't hear you, so we handed it off to Robbie. Oh, that was, I, I could hear you guys the whole time. That was weird. That was definitely on your end, because we could all hear each other. Huh. Anyway, what I was saying is... Uh, <laughs> You, you can bring in Davion as a kind of experienced guy and handle the point a little bit early on. And then if Askew kind of figures things out, um, then I don't think Davion's the kind of guy that would be able to, like, you can kind of reduce his role a little bit in Calipari's mind. Like, if Askew's able to grab that and roll on, then he's a nice rotation piece to have. But he's not necessarily a guy that's going to demand 30 minutes all season long if Askew's ready to play that role. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, like, just from a Kentucky standpoint, I don't know if Cal – takes the chance on bringing Davion in unless he intends to play him, at least like you said early in the season for sure. So I think the, I think as much of a shock as it was maybe to everybody where he went, I don't think that it's, I think there's, you know, some intent there to, to, to give him the keys of the car right away and, and then develop the younger guys underneath him. Yeah, I just think uh, Kentucky fans are going to be, like, wildly disappointed when they see him play basketball. Uh, I mean, it sounds like from the Kentucky message boards and stuff like that, just from what I've been reading, that, you know, some of the fan base is split on why are we taking this guy, and some of the fan base is like, well, why didn't this guy get more minutes at Creighton, and, you know, maybe some of these other people are holding him back, and the system was bad for him. You got to let him get out in the open floor and whatever. I, listen, I just – I don't think – I don't, I don't think, think, Creighton, I think Creighton's system, first of all, is ever bad for a point guard, but I digress. Not a good point I, guard, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, for, I mean the other thing the – other, the other obvious part of this is the SEC isn't as good as the Big East either, so I mean – at, no, at, on a night-in, night-out basis, he's probably going to be able to explain There's people. also, like, he's also going to kill everybody he plays against compared to what he would do in the Big East. Because if he yeah. was holding his own in the Big East, he's definitely going to more than hold his own in the SEC. There's there's a, there's, a, there's going to be a night-in, night-out basis where there's going to be a lot of matchups where he gets the better of. Mm-hmm. I just think from – it's less about the SEC as much as, like, the expectations of a Kentucky fan. Like, Kentucky yeah. itself – is a different beast than the SEC in general. He's going to be able to take advantage of some bad matchups or good matchups in, in his favor for uh, in the SEC because the SEC is not awesome at basketball outside of a couple teams. Like Great. Tennessee is good sometimes, Florida is good sometimes, and that's about it. Right. And so he's not going to be facing, again, like you said, the level of competition that he faced in the Big East. That being said, I think Kentucky fans are going to be really, really frustrated with him as their point guard. Well, here's the thing. Here's why I like it from Davion's standpoint is because I know he wants to play in the NBA. Obviously, that's not much of a shocker. Everybody does. But I think he wanted the opportunity. I think the reason this senior year went on tilt for him at Creighton was because he felt like the opportunity kind of passed him by to showcase his skill set for the league. 
And when you think about a place like Kentucky, the NBA eyeballs are going to be on Kentucky players basically as soon as camp opens until the end of the year, you know what I'm saying? So from a standpoint of what kind of a gamble he's taken by going there, that's – I mean, it's going to give him an opportunity to get everything he wants. So I totally, I totally understand that. I do. But the reason his opportunity at Creighton passed him by is because he spent three years at Creighton not taking advantage of that opportunity. Well, I, I think he took advantage of it as much as he could. Well, that's my point. Like, in his, I think there's a disconnect between his expectations and his ability. Correct. And so his, and I think that was... his ability is he can do what he did at Creighton, which was, what, nine points a game, few assists, be a decent – like, his ideal spot would have been to be, like, the backup point guard for Marcus Zagorowski this year. So you don't have to play Reef Mitchell. You don't have to play Jet Canfield ever. You just put Davion Mintz in for 15 minutes a game at random guard spots. Like, that's, that would have been his perfect spot for Creighton. But, again, he wants to play in the NBA. He believes he can play in the NBA. I disagree. Yeah, I, th- I, I think you're, you're right. I, I, you know, if we look back on it, you know, 10 years ago, Davion Mintz has had a really bizarre – he had a really bizarre career at Creighton. Sure. I mean, when when Mo goes down his freshman year, he kind of gets thrown to the fire, and then he underperforms a little bit. And you know, then it was always kind of underperforming well, since then. But performing, but also so part of it was like he never really got the keys either. Like you know, they yeah. were playing zero in the point guard. Like they never just handed it over to him. And so I understand some frustration from him there, but I also just. I think there's always been this underwhelming because you would see some of the things he's able to do, whether it's in practice or summer league or whatever, where he, you know, can be really athletic and explosive and finish above the rim. And he does seem to have this, this jump shot that'll get it done. And then you just never saw it in games. I mean, you saw it a few times. Yeah. You saw it a couple times. He was able to yam on a guy with a one-handed dunk, but I mean, it was like, he always made strange decisions. Yeah. But his agree. sophomore year, I mean, he was the guy, right? Well, yeah, that's his, kind of, it was that's his kind of the weird thing. That's kind of the weird thing. And obviously, kind of the minutes, he only played 20 minutes a game. But as a sophomore, he was really good. Assist mm-hmm. turnover, uh, one of the better in the conference. Uh, 3.1 assists, 1.1 turnover in 21 minutes a game. And then uh, the next year, as he tried to do more, or kind of the ball security went away and decision making it got worse because he was pretty like sound with the ball as a sophomore he just wasn't efficient scoring inside the arc that was kind of his biggest problem that year that's what that's what I mean I think like his best year was when he had guys he knew could be those scorers and he didn't really have to he didn't really have to like take that upon himself it was the year after when he felt like there was more responsibility for him to be a scorer because a, they've got a point guard in Marcus Zagorowski who they want to kind of get some minutes, obviously, and B, the scorers around him weren't as experienced in Mitch and Tyshawn. So there was kind of like he was the oldest guy on the wing, basically, and he had to be a scorer. So the role he was asked to play as a junior was different than the one he had to play as a sophomore. And I think right. at Kentucky, the role he is likely going to have to play is more of a mix between the one – he played as a sophomore in terms of the style and then the other parts of it as a junior where it's where he has the experience. So I think it's maybe 
it could be a best of both world situations in terms of in terms of what he's able to do. It could be for sure. I I also just think that I think if you have him in that role as a sophomore where he's kind of the caretaker point guard and less of the score or go-to guy type thing that he tried to be more of as a junior, I think that fits his skill set better than what he tried to do as a junior, what he was asked to do as a junior. I don't know if if you mix those two roles, I don't know what a skill set looks like in that scenario. I just I'm not totally convinced he can be more than what he was as a sophomore and keep any kind of ball security, efficiency, that type of thing. I'm just I don't that's what well, I'm not sold on Davion. He was actually better scoring wise as a junior. Um, but it just came with a lot more turnovers. That was kind of the problem. Right. He, he, yeah. He shot forty-seven percent on twos, which isn't good, but uh, it's it's better than he was his first two years. And he shot about the same on threes on twice the volume uh, from his sophomore year. So he was capable of scoring a little bit better as a junior. He was as a sophomore. It's just the decision making kind of got worse with it. It was kind of weird. I don't. He's just a, a strange player, and especially with what you thought yeah. he could potentially be based on what he was in high school as a guy that could impact the game in a lot of different ways. He's a guy that got what, multiple triple doubles as a senior, and that that kind of distribution never just – even the rebounding, like three rebounds a game, like he was just pretty average as a rebounder, as a 6'3 point guard or whatever. So he, he never really kind of flashed the all-around game that you thought you might be getting with him, and you mentioned the athleticism where that was every now and then you'd see the highlights, but it wasn't that functional because again, he shot under 40% from two as a, as a freshman and shot 43% as a sophomore. And that is really bad. I think one of the most frustrating things about him was that he did have finish above the rim ability. And he always, it seemed like he was always trying to finish the way Mo Watson had to finish. And it's like, you don't have to do that. You're six, three and you can yam on people. And then, like, once every, like, I don't know, a couple months, you'd see it. And you'd be like, yeah, just Davion, just finish like that. You should try that more. But I don't know if like, it – because it seems like he would have drawn a lot of fouls if he was trying to finish above the rim the way he could have. And it just never seemed like that matched up. I don't, I don't know what it was. Yeah, and his, his junior year, he, he kind of set himself this narrative that he was going to – that, that two-guard, uh, you know, three-and-D kind of guy – where he was going to be able to defend really well. I mean, he kind of set that up himself, where he's like, I'm going to be one of the best defenders, on-ball defenders. I, I, I vaguely remember him kind of touting that, especially early on in the season. And then he let Marcus Howard score 53 points on him. And he was <laughs> kind of in shambles after that. And then you watch what Tyshawn was able to do to Marcus Howard and to, Mark, or, and to, uh, to Powell this year. And he was like, oh, I think that's what I wanted to be, but I couldn't quite achieve it. Well, see, like, even that game, like, I was at that game. Like, I thought he was defending him really, really well. Like, he was every shot he hit was – That's what made Marcus Howard's performance more incredible because I thought Davion was where he was supposed to be in terms of defense. It just – Howard was hitting ridiculous shots. And and then you compare that to when Tyshawn or anybody else switched on to him. And it was – like, the shots were so much easier for Howard when anybody else besides – Davion was on him and Davion's getting over screens. And so like, I'm not putting that 53 on, he would have done that against anybody in the country. I think. No, yeah. That that that. night was that night. 53 was happening regardless. I agree. That's gotta be disheartening though. Right. Cause you set yourself up for that. And then you watch a guy pulling, you know, 
a half a century point and it's like well whoops (laughs) i mean it's got to break you a little bit psychologically i mean that whole overtime period broke the whole team so i mean (laughs) (laughs) it definitely broke the fan base it wasn't just davion you could see the body language on everybody they were like oh man this is i can't believe we lost this game it took Um, like five (laughs) close game wins this year before people started to not mention that every single time you talk about creating in a close game. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, the next, the last bit of news, I guess, Tyshawn Alexander declaring for the draft and obviously making it known that he's intending to, I don't even know how I want to say it. Like, cause it's not like he has signed with an agent or said he's going to for sure. He just intends yeah. to keep his name in the draft is maybe as long as, possible until he hears either a definitive yes or a no i don't know yeah. uh, but it seems like right now he's definitely leaning towards his Creighton career coming to an end and and uh moving on to play professionally um so i guess with the tyshawn news and with the with the uh, conference call and all the information that came out of it what's everybody's um initial take on his decision and where he looks like he's leaning Who's going first? Okay, I'll go first. Since Robbie, Andrew, Robbie's like Robbie's like watching something else or something like that. I'm here. <laughs> How dare you? He's easily he's easily distracted. I think that goes for um, us. Yeah, I I think I think Tyshawn go and uh, make some money in the NBA. I mean, if if he can get money, then he should go and get it. And the idea that he's beholden to Creighton and that he owes Creighton something is nonsense and ridiculous. And it's an expectation that you shouldn't set yourself up for a fan because you're going to get disappointed every time. Um, I think we saw, especially in like last maybe 15, 10 to 15 games that Tyshawn could play at a high level, that he can do extraordinary things, uh, that he's very, very consistent in the way that he's able to play. Um, so if, if he has the opportunity to go and play in the NBA, I mean, I think you should take it. Especially since, I mean, next year is kind of in doubt whether they're going to play college basketball or not. So, right. you know, and if he, if he wants to you know, transition from being a two guard into a, maybe a point guard in the NBA, you know, he's got to take that opportunity. He's got to take as much time as possible in order to kind of round out his game to kind of fit that, that, uh, that style of play. So, you know, the more time that he's able to take to do that and the more time that he can spend focusing on being maybe a point guard or maybe, you know, kind of a combo guard kind of situation, I think he should take it. I'm really, I'm really glad, I'm really glad you brought that up because I think that's like the point I haven't heard people talk about yet is like all, all people have said is, you know, oh, he's not ready. You know, he's not even on any mock drafts or anything like that. But when you think about the situation that he – would be coming back to next year at Creighton versus one he's going to try to seize at the next level. What position does everybody see him playing, right? It's – I – Is he a two-guard in the NBA? Like I think he is. I think he is. Strictly I, a two-guard at his size. I, 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 I mean, he's 6'4". I think that's big enough to play the two in the NBA. Yeah, 6'4 right. is not an undersized two in the NBA. That's is, he six, is he 6'4"? <laughs> He's close yeah, enough. I mean, like, I don't think he's going to be too undersized to play at that. Like, he, he doesn't have ideal physical tools, 
and, but that's not changing. I just don't know that – I don't think I see his game, his skill set changing dramatically enough. Like, he can handle a few minutes run, uh, handling the ball, bring the ball up or whatever, but I just don't think he is a point guard. I th- don't, don't think that's what he does well. Um, he's got to improve in a lot of areas to actually play the point and be productive in the NBA. So I think he's yeah, right, but that's that's the part of like when he when you're ta- when you're trying to think about his mindset or whatever, is he feels like he needs to improve his point guard skills in order to make a career in the league, and will he be able to do that with one more year at Creighton? I eh, I don't think he's doing it either way. Because kind of if you do give him some minutes at the one, you got to put Marcus Zagorowski off the ball, which he's fine with doing. But you also take minutes away from a Sharif Mitchell and his development at the one too. You know what I'm saying? See, and I, I, it's like with basketball, every, like if most of the players on like your guards get to handle the ball, like I don't, he's going to handle the ball. He's going to make plays. He may not be necessarily running the point, but he's going to initiate offense just with the the flow of what they do. Mm -hmm. And so I think at times people kind of overrate like the on the ball, off the ball a little bit too much because basketball is it's a game of flow. Everything's constantly changing. Like you don't, like even Marcus at times will kind of pound the ball a little bit too much, I think, at, at times. But um, for the most part, like the, it's a ball movement sport. So a lot of guys handle the ball. A lot of guys get rid of it quickly. Like it moves around a lot, especially at Creighton. So like I don't I necessarily it, think you had to. Does it Does it at the next level though? I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I, don't know, I, don't, I, think, I think you see more guys pounding the ball into the floor at the next level than you do in college, but – and I think I think I think from a from a standpoint of what he's gonna have to improve in his skill set, you know, if he like like the way he put it, if you don't have to work worry about a class load or someone else's role where you can just focus on those skills yourself at the next level, that's how he's gonna develop, not necessarily. Well, and, and, next yeah, year that I think the only reason he comes back next year is if he wants to do something as a team that they've never yeah. done before. I don't think there's 100%. anything I don't think there's anything in, in his skill set that he can't improve more somewhere else at the at the professional level. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I agree with that 100%. And that is kind of the key takeaway from that whole, like, everything that he said and kind of going into this is um, – and, heck, like, I, I tweet about this, and even his mom retweeted it. So I think you could take that as pretty good confirmation that uh, a lot of times guys – just want to focus on basketball and people talk about college bas like college basketball supporters and apologists always talk about like uh the development you get at the college level and come back and get a lot better and like a lot of times that isn't the best place to develop because there are so many other things you got to work on and there you're limited to how many hours you can spend in the gym with a coach um, so it's on you to get in there on your own in the extra time, but you also got to balance class and study hall and a few minutes here and there to actually spend time with friends and be a normal human being. So um, a lot of times guys are just ready to go focused on basketball as much as they want. And some guys don't enjoy school as much as others. And it seems like he got to that point where, all right, this, this is, this game is going to be my life and I'm ready to focus on this. Like I've learned what I need to at this point. Now it's just about kind of really locking in and elevating each of these skills that I've already developed as much as possible. And the best way to do that is just spend all my time on it. Robbie, well, do, you think think for, Robbie do you think he's ready for the next level at this point? 
Well, I mean, it depends on what you mean by ready and depends on what you mean by next level. Like, Jacob mentions that he doesn't know how much better that Tyson Alexander can get at Creighton, and I tend to agree. Um, I just hope that he goes into it understanding, like, I hope some – I hope this decision isn't based on some agent getting in his ear and be like, hey, I think you can sneak into the back end of the first round. I hope it's just going in as like, hey, basketball is my job. I want to go into it as a job. Like, I think he has a really good opportunity to go the G League route, maybe as like a second-round pick, and work his way into the NBA that way. I don't think he's a first-round pick. I, I Something would have to dramatically change in his evaluation for him to be a first-round pick. Mm-hmm. And – so I'm okay with that as long as he understands that. Like, I don't have an issue with that. Yeah. If he wants to take basketball seriously as his job, even if he wants to go overseas, like, you know, I know Marcus Foster waited until he was a senior, but Marcus Foster had an opportunity, as I understand it, to play in the G League or to go overseas and make a lot more money. And he went overseas and was like, hey, it's my job. I'm going to go make money. I'm cool mm-hmm. with that. If, Tyson, if that's what Tyshawn wants, I'm 100% cool with that as long as he knows what he's getting into and it's not like somebody's convinced him he's going to be a first-rounder because I don't think that's a possibility – but if he wants to go make money playing basketball overseas or in the G League and work on his stuff, I think he's got a better opportunity to improve on what he needs to do in a place like the G League where they're invested in his development. If they want him to turn, to learn some point guard skills, he'll get minutes of point guard. This isn't like he's not taking minutes from Zagorowski. That's not happening. Right. You know? And so yeah. if he wants – if they want him to learn how to be more of a point guard, like that – the G League is a place where that will and can happen because yep. they're invested in it happening, where at Creighton that's probably not as likely. This isn't like when they wanted to make sure Steph Curry could play point guard and so Davidson was like, well, he's the best player that's ever been in, you know, the tri-state area, so we're just going to let him play point guard now. Like that's not the case at Creighton with Tyshawn Alexander. They've got a guy at point guard who's – just as valuable to the team as Tyshawn is. And so he's not going to have that opportunity to just kind of plug and play wherever he thinks he needs work in order to play in the NBA. Mm-hmm. So in terms of development, going pro probably makes sense for him. I just hope that he is going into it with a clear and accurate picture of what his journey to the NBA actually will look like. I mean, and I think that's scenario, something. The best case scenario he mentioned last night was middle of the second round. So – I feel like Yeah, and I think that's accurate. I think middle yeah. to late second round, I think it's entirely possible he goes undrafted and signs as a free agent, right. which is not the end of the world. It nope. might even be better if you're if you're a late second round pick. It might even it, it's a lot of times better to not be drafted so you can pick where you go so you put yourself in the right situation. Um, so I don't as long as that's what as long as he knows that, right? Uh, that's yeah. my only concern is that someone has gotten in his ear and convinced him he can sneak into the back end of the first round with good workouts or Skype workouts or however they're doing that stuff. Mm-hmm. As long as he knows, like, yeah, I'm probably going to spend a couple years in the G League or overseas to get to where I need to be. Like, go make your money. Go play professional basketball. Live out your dream. Like, I'm cool. That's and the, I think that's so the thing. There's so many avenues that, for him to get to the NBA that are not in draft related. You know what I mean? Like, if he gets on it, he's likely going to get at, – at worst, he's going to get onto a summer league squad um, and get some camp workouts and be able to show what he's got from that standpoint. And if he has to go overseas or to the G League, that's the avenue after that. Or sign a two-way contract where he's bouncing from the G League to the NBA and things like that. I mean, there's just – I think the, the thing that people miss when they try to figure out if a player is quote-unquote ready or not is the draft is not no longer the only way – you can make the NBA anymore. There's, there's different avenues to get there now. 
Yeah, the G yeah, League is a lot more viable of a product than it was in terms of developmental league than it was even 10 years ago. Uh, and so I, I agree with you there. I, it just He's not going to be taking the traditional like lottery pick route to the NBA. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, that's kind of the point that I was uh, going to make is there, there's so many different routes now. And with the expansion and the um, kind of investment in the G League, You've got so you've got second round pick, and a lot of those guys get more guaranteed money and more of a chance these days than they used to. Mm-hmm. So that that's one. If you don't end up there, you could end up being a, a priority undrafted free agent, like a guy like uh, um, uh, what's the guy that uh, Toronto signed? Um, uh, Van Vliet. I forgot his name. No, just th- this past year he's a rookie. This year, oh. um, Terrence. Uh, uh, it's his Terrence last name. Nunn. Terrence Nunn. No, that's different. Um, Terrence sorry. Ross? No, he's <laughs> in Orlando. I got it. Hold Those on. The only Terrences I can think of. Yeah, that's all. I don't want Terrence. I can, I Terrence know. Davis. Okay. Terrence Crawford. Davis. Terrence Crawford. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, out of Ole Miss. Like, yeah, no, not Bud. I'm sure, although he probably thinks he's good enough. Listen, to Bud gets buckets um, in the summer league, and I'm not going to say any different. Bud does not get buckets. Hey, my brother is a defensive specialist, purely. He does not get buckets. Hey, hey, my brother had to guard him this last summer. He locked him up. I mean, not really, but he did that. <laughs> I've got a picture of my my six five brother guarding the five seven. Uh, <laughs> Terrence Crawford is kind of hilarious, but uh, yeah, anyway, back back to the point. Like he he is a guy that could have been drafted uh, at the end of the draft, the last ten picks or so, but he decided. Uh, no, I'm, I'm not going to – like, he told teams, like, hey, don't draft me. I want to be an undrafted free agent. He landed in Toronto, and he was really good this year. He carved out a really nice role for himself as, as a rookie. Um, so you've got that, and then you've got two-way contracts now. You've got two extra spots on NBA rosters where you can spend part of your season in the NBA making NBA money and then part of your season in the G League uh, developing your game. Um, so that's uh, more money than the standard – um, G League contract and then you've got the straight up G League and uh, guys from that league get chances every year in the NBA if you, you prove yourself at that level and then even overseas like, you've got Exhibit 10 contracts which is um, where you go to camp and then you go play for a team's G League so you get the extra money from going through the camp and then you go and spend the year in the G League and then maybe try to make the, the club next year so there are so many different ways that you can make money and get your foot in the door now that that didn't exist in the past. And I think a lot of fans kind of don't realize that or um, just they're kind of stuck with the antiquated view where if you're not a first round pick, it's like you'll never make it in the league. So you should come back. And and it's a a value proposition. Like you got to understand if does he come back, if he comes back and works on, he could get a little bit better with his handles. He could kind of get more consistent with the shot a little bit. He could end up being a better player um, by spending another year in Creighton, but does that uh, outweigh him being 23 years old going into his first NBA season? Right. Um, you, you, and can, can he have a better defensive season than he just had? I don't think you can. I don't think you can. Right. He, he's, he's not going to be guarding the same – as good of guys as he was guarding this year. You know, when you think yeah, about, that, that, I wasn't even thinking of it that way, but like just in terms of what he showed this year, that's he's at his peak defense. He showed um, what he could be defensively this year, and it's going to be hard to 
even replicate that, let alone kind of build on it and get even better and show teams like, hey. And thing too is like he we mentioned kind of the size thing, but he doesn't have the elite tools. I think that's kind of the question with his defense translating to the NBA versus college is he doesn't have the elite length or quickness uh, mm-hmm. or strength. Like he's he's all about uh, technique and hard work and putting in the, stu- the time to study and all that kind of stuff. Like that doesn't necessarily translate as easily or, or as automatically to the league. So um, I don't necessarily know how, how much he can build his stock with another year. People say, oh, come back and be on a top five team and boost you into a first round pick or whatever. Like, every year you do see guys that kind of go off and make deep turn runs or whatever that, that have their stock elevated. But a lot of the times it isn't seniors that are going to be 23 years old. And um, I don't think it's as rare. Like people, like the, the full body of work counts towards your, your draft stock and all that stuff. Like you're not going to get drafted in the first round just because you, you played on a good team. Mm-hmm. So I don't necessarily know what kind of, how much he can build his stock with another year in college based on what he showed this season so and the his ce- age and like physical the, the ceiling for his draftability is uh, mid-second round, whether it's this year or next year, is what you're saying? I think probably, um, yeah. unless he took a jump that nobody expects. Because right. like, it's always possible that something does happen. Like, I'm not – like, it could happen where he comes back and shoots 42% from three and scores 20 a game and – three or four assists like on top of it it could happen but um i think it's much more likely that he's close to what he was this year in terms of production right. um maybe he gets a little bit better or, but then also or, he's getting a year older or even less of it because now you have yeah, a, yeah. Now you have antoine jones in the mix you're gonna i mean you're probably gonna try to give sharif mitchell some more of a role so he can have some growth um obviously marcus and mitch uh you still have dj and denzel you're going to have to throw the ball to the bigs now with Kaufbrenner and, and Bishop and Epperson back in the mix. Like, they might be less when you're talking about his numbers. They might all go down across the board except for the percentages. So, um, I just don't know. It, it's, it's one thing if Marcus Howard and Miles Powell come back because they're the guys, you know what I mean? It's one thing if Doug McDermott yeah. comes back for his senior year because he's option one through five. Big you know and like yeah. well, He's going to have his – he's going to get his shots. Like, if Tyshawn comes back next year to, quote-unquote, improve his draft stock, the only way, like you said, which I totally agree with, is that his draft stock improves is if Creighton is playing, you know, in the Elite Eight or the Final Four and he is on a grand stage and he shows out that way. But the rest, right. of, the, rest of the season, it's all going to be treading water, basically, because he's already done that at a high level. Yeah, and so, I mean, you look at it and it's like, well, I gamble on another year playing basketball for free. I mean, why not take your money? I mean, maybe he blows – maybe he tears his meniscus like Zagorowski did. I mean, and, and then all of a sudden a he's drafted. This year. Right, exactly. So, I mean, you look at it and it's like, why risk not making money when you could make money? I don't <laughs> – I mean, so – Why do it for zero dollars when you can do it for more than zero dollars? <laughs> Correct. Like, why not take that opportunity? He already has decided. I mean, and we've seen it. We we watched we watched every single game that Tyshawn's played. We understand that he's good at basketball. We understand that he could probably play it at, at, at a heightened level at, at a professional level. Why wouldn't you just? 
take the money if it's offered to you. Always do that. College college athletics is the only enterprise where the majority of people who follow it think that it's a good idea to do it for free. Because in no it's other walk, in no other walk of life is that an acceptable logical thought. Right, and I mean, especially in a capitalist society, it's like, <laughs> duh. <laughs> exactly. See your market worth and get that. Get that bag, man. And don't yeah. sit around at college. I mean, you're wasting time. If you want to play basketball, go play professional basketball. Right. And you can always finish your degree online. You can come back to class. Kyrie just finished his degree. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's like anytime people people say like Kyrie and got like made the wrong decision, I'm just like, you have no idea what the, <laughs> what's going on. Like you just you're thinking, yeah. oh, I'm a Creighton fan. Uh, you're not thinking about what he just, got out or what he could. Like let's just recap a few things about Kyrie Thomas real quick. He's a millionaire with a college degree right now, so there's nothing in Kyrie's <laughs> decision making that went wrong. <laughs> and he's played in NBA games, right? So, like he's achieved his dream of making it to the NBA. Now yeah. he's got to be he's got to do what he can to keep that going. But he's a dream, he's achieved that dream and the contract that comes with it. Right, right. And he's let's, making uh, money. And, let's jump into and there's no guarantee that. Yeah, go ahead. Let's jump into questions real quick and just knock these out, and then we can take this thing off the rails and see where we land. Um, One more thing on Tyson, actually. Um, I did have a question for you guys. How, I guess, how, how does this affect Creighton's offense compared to his defense? Like, how, like, what's the, the, the impact to Creighton on both ends of the floor of losing Tyshawn? Because I think we all expect that he's not going to be back. So, just assuming he's gone, um, how does this impact Creighton on offense compared to how it impacts him on defense? Defense is the bigger problem, I think, yeah. without yeah. a doubt. Because, I mean, listen, you've still got Marcus Zagorowski, who – I don't know. I've, I don't want to speak for you guys, but I certainly think he can go to another level still. Um, you've got Antoine Jones coming in who could be impactful. I want Mitch Ballack to be always more aggressive. Uh, Denzel Mahoney, I think his minutes are going to go up as well as his shots. I mean, you've got lots of guys to pick up the offensive slack. If you get 5 to 10% more offensively out of like three to four different guys, I think you're good there in terms of offensive production. The issue for me is just having that one-on-one lockdown defender that I unless Damian Jefferson, who's got the body and athleticism for it, takes a huge step forward, that's, that's where there's going to be the hardest part replacing Tyshawn, I think. So, right. and so I, think, look at I think it might be offensive because I think Sharif Mitchell is ready to be the lockdown guy. I think I was just, like, digging into his first But Sharif doesn't have – like, he's so – yeah, I saw you the numbers, but there's a different like, – Treef at his size can really only defend on the ball point against yeah. point guards. He doesn't well, he have. Guard, I think he can like, guard the one or two to, in the Big East. And, and when you look around the league, who's the three? Who's the three that really needs to be shut down as a main option in the league right now in the Big East? I don't even know who's coming back. I can't answer that question off the top of my head. Well, Sadiq Bay is probably not. Head, but there's so that's always one that's somebody. Out. I mean, there's always like a Sadiq Bay or a you know like there's not always that like that and. Right. No, Marshall's gone. Sadiq Bay's gone. Alpha Diallo's gone. Like a lot of those guys are gone, but I fully anticipate with the types of recruits a lot of these programs bring in someone in that kind of three wing spot will step forward and be right probably, away. Right away. By the, I mean, by the time we get to conference season, yeah. Wouldn't we already know who they are, though? 
by conference season, we will. Like, listen, there's guys that we – I, I think mean, we already know who the dudes are, I, don't we? So, like, my, like for Seton Hall, it's probably going to be Mamu Kelishvili, who, yeah, that's not going to be a matchup for Sharif. Um, that's yeah. one that Tyshawn can guard that Sharif can't. Basically, the question is, who can who can Sharif who could who could Tyshawn guard that Sharif can't? Those are the that's the like that's the list of players you have to name in order to answer that question. Right, and uh, Jacob just said David Duke, which is going to be a problem. Nah, Sharif can guard David Duke. He's six. Five. Right. David Duke's going to so, be all Providence has next but David Duke's, But David Duke's a guy who gets into his shot with ball handling. He doesn't – He doesn't. All right. David Duke and A.J. Reed, they're 6'5 and 6'6". Six, six. David so Duke's not two. taking anybody into the post and doing work that way. Like, Sharif well, but it's work. not even just – It's not about David being in the post. Like, yeah. you can just shoot Jalen Coleman lands – Coleman, Jalen Coleman lands, David Duke, those type of players, Sharif can guard those type of guys. They're perimeter players. David Duke and AJ Reeves can literally just rise up and shoot over it, no matter how good a defense he plays. Like there's there's a problem there when there's you know you get to four five six inch height difference. I understand that that Sharif Mitchell can be there and be in front of them and make it a hard time to get into their shot, but they can just go up right over them. That's the problem. Yeah, like there are a lot of ways that like in, guarding in the post isn't the only way that a size uh, disadvantage can limit you at, can hurt you as a defender. Right. So you're gonna need basketball jones to step up next year yeah, that's, that's basketball jones or damian jefferson to step up and be a wing stopper or De- or denzel mahoney yeah exactly i, I, I don't know if then that's he's, so i i don't know if denzel's got the the foot the lateral foot the lateral quickness concern he he, yeah lateral quickness is not what tyshawn's is but he also has wingspan that, that tyshawn doesn't have though but here's the thing yeah. it doesn't i mean tyshawn, for, Tyshawn moved his feet really well this year. Like I think, no, you're I kinda, but Denzel, like, also, I don't think Denzel, Denzel, Denzel is also capable of guarding those bigger guards as well. And those you guys are thinking guys. about offense or defense too much. This team is going to score so right. many that's goddamn all, points. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's the other part. People's brains <laughs> out. Like who that's cares the, defensively? That's the other part of it too. It's like 115 a game. Who That's, cares defensively is how you end up having a nice season and going out in the tournament early. <laughs> That's the we'll other see. part of it for me is why I think it's offensive because I think you I think you can find got a way to replace enough of his defense to still be as good as you were as a team defensively. Offensively is where, you know, when you look at his assistant turnover ratio in Biggie's play, the way he shot the ball in Biggie's play, um, the way he was that guy who played off of you know the way Marcus and Mitch and Tyshawn played off of each other so well yeah that's like that's the one component like the question is what's the drop off when it's just who's the guy who gets to be that number whatever number number it is. two playmaker ball that and that's the thing yeah, you look at right. it like so say Antoine isn't doesn't crack the starting lineup it's those five guys last year where you've got Mitch at the two and Damian and Denzel at the three and the four however like the ball handling of that group compared to having Tyshawn there um, and having one of Denzel or Damian or um, like, I think that that's like Mitch is going to have to take a leap there. You're going to have to have Jones be able to make plays with the ball. Like, cause De- uh, DJ isn't a guy that's going to be a great playmaker off the bounce for himself and for others. He can get to that little pull up jump or whatever, but he's a slasher. He's kind of more of an off ball player. Uh, Denzel. He's a guy that he's not really going to create uh, creatively. He's just going to put his head down, put his shoulders down, and go to the basket, jump stop, 
and all that kind of stuff. He's not really a playmaker, definitely for others. So that's kind of where you're losing out with Tyshawn as a guy that could handle the ball, could make plays for others, but could also run off uh, the ball, run off screens and shoot 40% from three. So right. that's kind of, I think, the, the lineup, like there's just not as much versatility with uh, Mitch at the two and then uh, Damian and DJ out there compared to having uh, Tyshawn at the two and Mitch at the three and then one of those guys. Agreed. I agree that it'll look different. I just I don't think the offense is going to be a problem. It, it will look different mm-hmm. for sure, and there probably is less versatility. I I don't think they're going to have a problem. They for add it. two seven footers, and that that was going on defense. That was going to be the other part that I was like I was going to yeah. mention is is Kalfrenner ready right away to offer some rim protection where you don't need to have guys be as locked down individually as Tyshawn was where you've got somebody at the rim that can make up for when you make a mistake. You have somebody there that can block shots and kind of dissuade guys from going at the rim, which is that's, that's kind of the impressive part about the improvement Creighton made on defense this year. You had zero rim protection um, and we're still able to take big strides on that end. So now, yeah, you'll lose some on ball um, ability, but now maybe if with Epperson and, uh, if he can get back out there and Kalkbrenner, you'll have a little bit more of that backline defense that can make up for mistakes you make out there. Right. According to, according to a spot on the back, according to a spot on the backboard, I think Tyshawn was the rim protection. Yeah. <laughs> but, See, that's the thing. Uh, go, jumping on that play real quick, though. People talk about the DJ dunk, which was crazy, but that block was even better than the dunk. Right. No. I think. That Ooh, I don't know about better than the dunk. It was at, no, it the dunk was pretty, no, it was better new. than the dunk. It was, I think it was better. I think it was better than the dunk too. I like, <laughs> and I could hear the block. You can hear it on the TV replay, and you could hear it from the floor. <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh, he just got pinned hard, and then well, yeah, well, DJ and, punched on Mama after that. But and in the moment, like, because I thought, was, oh dang, he got a, he got Tyson beat bad there. And then out of nowhere, I still don't know how he managed to take off and get to that ball before it got right. to the backboard. And I yes. still don't know how Mamu played 38 more minutes without a soul. <laughs> <laughs> All right, have you guys have you guys rewatched that game yet? It's on yeah. YouTube. Yeah, yeah. I, I recorded it, so I'm going to just watch it. Honest God, when I'm feeling real down, I'll go to YouTube <laughs> a lot lately. I'll go to YouTube and I'll rewatch that game. And it's amazing start to finish because you see shit that you didn't see the time before. And you're like, wow, that's You know what my I favorite, ever, my favorite part of that game? Thing, my favorite part of that game is when Tyshawn hits that three coming off the screen yes. over. Uh, or I think, no, it's actually when he sizes up Mamu on the ISO and he bangs that three. Yeah, and he puts and it him, him, and, him and Marcus are like celebrating in front of Seton Hall's bench. Yep. And, and, and then Powell push him in the back. Yeah, yeah. Miles shoves Tyshawn, and if you look at it, him and Marcus turn right around and like start John back at the bench. I like screen for shot of that. That's like my favorite moment of the season. Yeah. Basically, yeah, like is that the, I was, I was is that, everybody was going nuts. I was watching that directly because I saw like where they was, and I saw how walking out there's like, oh, what's he gonna do here? And then he gave him the push. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, <laughs> wait, wait five seconds, they'll be out of there. <laughs> I know. Okay, but I just love their reaction. To... They were like, "Yeah, we want all the smoke, everything you got." Like it was basically that. No, like, they, we... he shoved him, and it was like that was supposed to make him leave, but all it did was make them turn around and go back at you. And then we, Kevin we Willard had to get in the way and do commentary. Like, like honestly, yeah, our, our commentary right. of it. <laughs> yes, 
Like if we just like if, if we were able to like get some sort of stream up on the Zoom thing and be able to watch it all together and like do do commentary on it, like that it's it's amazing. It, honest to God, if you haven't rewatched it yet, rewatch it. Whoever's listening at home, just take the night, rewatch it maybe two or three times, and tell me <laughs> that isn't the most fun you've ever had rewatching a basketball game. I think the the, be, the best part is when the best part is after Christian's three point play and they put Denzel back in. Knowing what you know happens is pretty funny watching it back. You're just like, that's where I here comes a bucket, here comes a bucket, here comes a bucket, here comes a bucket, here comes a bucket. I haven't watched the whole thing yet. I have watched from Bishop's and one until yeah. the end. Yeah, I did. Times. Yeah, I did catch part of the replay on TV, so I did see. They only didn't score on one possession until until the lead was like huge. Like that's insane. And who was it that missed the shot? Tyshawn missed a three at the top of the key. They there totally, we go. He so, made like, yeah. and, he, and it wasn't like there he missed it bad. Like we'll he nailed it. Him. Cut him. He nailed it. It was just, it was if just. He doesn't a go to the long. NBA. Cut him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't need him if he missed that shot. Come on. <laughs> Ruined the perfect ending. That was a, that was just a bludgeoning for the last ten minutes of that game. I, I enjoyed that so much. Yeah. yeah, I was sitting right. I was standing right next to Ravi and can't confirm that he enjoyed. it. I was as going. Uh, Bonkers. <laughs> yeah. Let's jump into questions real quick because we're already starting to go off. All right. Cat yeah. um, Everlasting. That's a terrible handle, but whatever. Cat uh, Everlasting wants to, like wants us to tell him that it'll be all right. Please. No, it'll be great. Uh, yeah, it's gonna be fine. I think we kind of did. Yeah. I think Marcus that's what we're all those guys are still coming back. It's gonna be fine. You get basketball. Basketball Jones on the roster <laughs> available to play. Uh, Tom Celine wants to know if Tyshawn calls it a career at Creighton, where do you see the Jays in the Big East standings after that? First, number one. <laughs> Still number one? I, yeah. Dude, I kind of agree. Like, I was talking to uh, John Fanta about this last night because he, he, one of his. Uh, I think one of his immediate reactions to Tyshawn declaring was that Villanova's the clear cut one and that number two spot is kind of opened up now. Like, I don't know about that. Like Villanova, if they lose Sadiq Bay and Creighton loses Tyshawn, aren't they still basically in the same spot and Creighton's still the better team? Yes. Well, I think, I think most of the national people and in the big East considered, but that they were losing B anyway, and still had them ahead of, and I think that's mostly just a nod to Jay Wright and what he does and what they've got coming back. Yeah. Because um, Villanova's been there, done that. Creighton's still kind of earning that reputation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's kind of worth it. And so I, I don't necessarily know that um, they kind of cancel each other. If they lose uh, Robinson Earl as well, if he goes to the NBA, I think that changes the, the equation. But they've, sure. they've got a guy like Brian Antoine, who was a five-star last year, that got hurt and never played like he couldn't really get, uh, crack the rotation there so if he actually is a five-star talent which I think a lot of people still think he is and mm-hmm. you plug him right in that lineup they may be just fine uh, not yeah. having B in there because as good and efficient as B was it wasn't like he was uh, kind of a dominant player like they they were pretty balanced his name is they had a lot of different guys what do you saying I I, yeah. sorry whatever Sadiq, Sadiq Bay, right yeah yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> no, yes. I, this, like the Sadiq, 
B, I, I don't know. Oh, okay. that, I got you. I got my you. Head, whatever. Yeah. The E sound at the end of Sadiq was throwing him off. Got yeah. you. All anyway, right. Sadiq Bay. But uh, so, yeah, they, no they've got pieces two. that can fill. Creighton's yeah. no worse than two. Yeah, like, I mean, I think yeah. it's clear cut one and two, right? Whoever you got, I mean, flip them all around you as, you as much as you want, but there's still Creighton, Villanova, and a gap, correct? Even without Tyshawn, I think Creighton's a preseason top 10 team. I do too. Yes. 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 <laughs> all of it correct. Yeah, I totally agree. So, yeah, I think, I think they're, yeah. I think preseason top right, two so. and top two in the Big East is still where they're at. Agreed. All right, so taking that, who's three then? Who who is pushing Creighton for um, to get into that, that that top couple? I mean, as of as of today, with the way the rosters look, because it looks like Seton Hall's in the mix for a lot of impact players. Um, yeah. Uh, so Seton Hall, if if they've got a chance to be pretty solid, if Aiken can give them a healthy season. I was just say I, I, that's a big yeah, if. That's, I think that's, you know. that's that's a mammoth if right there. <laughs> that's like that's like saying Crane will have some rim protection if Jacob Epperson. Aiken <laughs> <laughs> has played thirty nine games in three seasons. That's a humongous if. And Jacob Epperson says, "Hold my hold my beer." <laughs> yeah. So uh, I don't know. It, it depends on what you like out of like David Duke as a junior. Like, can he make a jump that the Howard and Miles Powell made? You know what I mean? Where they're all American type of players. Yeah. Um, because if he does, then Providence I, probably, you know, stays above water despite all that they're losing. Um, yeah, you know, I but, still don't know what. Butler what probably the, isn't. Butler's probably not even. Butler's probably a, a play-in team, right? Like, they're the trash. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, they kind of reverted back to the mean anyway later in the season. They were, from where they were garbage the last like seventy percent of the conference. So you got you're Aaron just, Thompson's going to be your best guard. You're just, you're just, your mind is warped from the whooping that you saw in Omaha. Like they're not that bad. They're bad. <laughs> they're bad because they're bad. So they're they'll have the two Bryces back. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like with like Kamar Baldwin is they just get rolled every time out on the floor. Yes. <laughs> they get doubled up at, after games. It was that game was seventy to thirty five. I think it was though, wasn't it? It was seventy to thirty five. <laughs> That's not a joke. They literally got doubled up like halfway through the second half. Yeah. Dude, my favorite stat of the season, that like happened. I want to I re -ha re re say it just because it's crazy to even like type and I want to say it out loud is like when you take the runs that Creighton put on DePaul, Butler, uh, Seton Hall, and Georgetown, those last like four home games, um, they outscored those four teams 122 to 38 in 38 minutes. If you put the run, <laughs> the run together. The whole basketball game, they won by 90. <laughs> so, so, like, for 38 minutes, they did that. And then, like, the rest of the time, it was, like, 84 to 83 or something like that was the score. Oh, my like, God. They were only minus one the rest of the way. But, like, for the 38 minutes that you just take their, their, their supernova runs and add them together – it's like plus 95 or something like that. <laughs> it's so outrageous. In, a 40, in, in less than 40 minutes, too. So to, to whatever that guy's name was who was like, like making me feel better because I'm sad. I think Cat Everlasting. 
Yeah. Yeah, I think that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's there's a there's a margin for error that's a little bit bigger. Yeah, there's a there's a cushion to land on. Yeah, that's my favorite set of the year though. Um, Brendan Dugan wants to know does Tyshawn leaving have an impact on Antoine Jones' role for next season? Um, and also yeah. what are Creighton's chances yes. they land on <laughs> What was the last part? Uh, he wants to know Chance of the DJ Carden. DJ Carden. Um, but first, the Jones question. Does everybody think – does it affect uh, – impact Antoine Jones' role? Does it change at all? Yes, uh, definitely. Like, I think they need a lot more out of him now. Um, like, because – like, we talked about kind of what each of those guys bring and to get closer to kind of what they were last year. I think they're going to need a little bit more out of him. He's going to, what, kind of back up the two through four spots. So you're going to basically have four guys playing for those three spots, uh, absorbing all the minutes there, barring further um, additions to the team. And he's going to have a chance to do a lot more now than I think he would have. That's because I was trying to figure out. Because his role is if Tyshawn yeah, comes back. Yeah, because I was trying to figure out where what that looks like because they – Remember what it was like having Denzel off the bench? Yeah. Another one of those. It was like just yeah, two. Well, yeah. I, I, like, there was but, one of them last year, but then there would be like two of them now this year. Well, two, two, two absolute, like, what does that actually look like in terms of minutes? And, is what it was. Well, just in terms of minutes and shots and like how does that – because, again, you're adding him without subtracting anybody if Tyshawn was coming back. So how does Matt kind of balance it out? Because you want to give your best players – you want to keep them out there. I think people – at times, definitely, guys got tired, um, and you want to keep the the the, the uh, minutes down where you can. You don't want to be playing 38 minutes against uh, a non-conference uh, low major team or whatever. But in big games, guys are going to be playing 35 minutes, and they'll be okay with that. Um, like you want your best players out there for 30, 35 minutes. So it's just kind of I was wondering how Mac was going to balance having the best guys out there with getting him involved to keep the legs fresh and all that. So obviously now this, it becomes a lot easier if basically they're going to have the same rotation as last year, um, mm -hmm. except you just add Kalkbrenner and Epperson into uh, Kelvin Jones's minutes. And uh, you have um, Antoine in as uh, Denzel from last year, and then kind of plug Denzel into Tyshawn's starting spot. Yeah. Denzel and Sharif for sure. Yeah. And then Sharif kind of same thing as last year year but kind of more consistent i think uh yeah. minutes wise so i think you, you, the rotation is going to look a lot like it did last year um whereas it kind of, they would have had to kind of figure some things out if tyshawn did come back mm -hmm. anybody else i just have to say that with the addition of kalkbrenner and maybe epperson back in the mix i'm pretty disappointed that i probably won't see any uh denzel mahoney at the five <laughs> oh, I think we'll see some. Still might. It, it'll yeah, your, your new small oh, ball yeah. line, your new like small ball lineup is not Christian at the five after at this point. Sorry, Robbie. I know that bums me I mean, out. It was there still was a like, super potent offensive was, lineup, but that's that's what you're looking at. There was a, I think, an early season game before Denzel was eligible, where they played like two or three minutes with Mitch at the five, and I was so happy. <laughs> well, it was more than two or three minutes. <laughs> it was against UTRGV, and Damian got hurt, like, in the first half. And Mitch played, like, 10 to 15 minutes at the five. Because mm -hmm. Denzel, Denzel wasn't eligible yet. It was the game before he got eligible. 
and Kelvin got fouled trouble or something, right? And it worked. Yeah, it worked. It was like their best offensive lineup of the pre of the non-conference for sure. That's right. It was sample sizes. <laughs> understanding sample sizes, but still, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I think they're at like one point five points per possession with Mitch at the five. <laughs> Yeah, like, I don't know. It was like I mean, 1.5 points per possession on 25 possessions with Mitch at the five. And it was just one insane. game. So, so basically, <laughs> I think, to get us slightly back on track, getting I think uh, the small ball, the super small ball, will be a luxury and not a necessity. Where they had to go to it at times this year, I think it's going to be more like the Seton Hall game where, all right, here's a knockout blow time. We're going to go to it when we feel like. Um, it can be super effective. And how much time is left in the game? Are we had the under eight timeout yet. Okay, put the small ball on it, Ben. Let's finish this. <laughs> yep. Like, oh, yeah. we we banged with you for thirty two minutes. Um, all right, now we're just going to straight murder you. <laughs> right? Isn't that amazing that you could just roll that out? Yes. Like at any particular point in time, it's like, well, we need a little spark. Let's just go real ball. That's, and then that's just the best. Work. That's the best part about both Seton Hall games is like Seton Hall like literally landed a pretty good punch on Creighton like midway through the first, second half where they were like yeah. alright now we're going to exert our will and they're going to fold and then Mac was like alright here's my small ball lineup and then Seton Hall was like oh shit <laughs> <laughs> both, in both instances they were like oh shit <laughs> they had nothing to, they had no answer for it whatsoever they even tried to go small and they were still overmatched I'm yeah. just saying if I was Mom get like, alive and he can't my... guard anything on the floor at all so it's like <laughs> if I was gonna get my doctorate in small ball i would just use the last nine minutes against seton hall as my thesis i'd just be done i'd say play the tape we are done here here's why it's effective <laughs> well it's just crazy that the key to that happening is a guy they plucked out of southeast missouri state yeah right a six foot five two guard six foot five center yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who wears sports bags I just I think the, the thing like that was the forty-year-old at the Y. The thing that was well, the most just, fun about the thing that was the most fun about Creighton winning winning a Big East title with that lineup at the end was like you've heard so many times I can't even count them over the years about Creighton's too small, Creighton's not tough enough, uh, Creighton can't handle the physicality and the size of the Big East, and it's like they're not trying to, they're trying to. <laughs> They're trying to go small and kill you with super ruthless efficiency. And eventually, if they keep recruiting to it, they're going to be able to do it. And they did it. I just think yeah. that was like a, that's what, like, kind of like an aha moment for everybody that felt like Creighton was going the wrong way in recruiting. It's like, no, they're recruiting to modern basketball. And they just won a title the way, you're, the way most teams are going to be winning them now in the future, I think. Give me all the six foot four to six foot six guys. Let's go. All the six. <laughs> How tall are you? Well, I just I was six two as a freshman, but now I'm six seven. Nope, sorry, I'm, I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> I was like, wait a second though. As as a six two guy, were you a point guard? Because I'll still take you then. <laughs> right. <laughs> what position? So you. you play so what you want is six seven point guards and six four centers. That's what you want. <laughs> I want them all to be within like a three to four inch gap of each other between like six four and six eight, but all to have the exact same skill set. Oh no, we lost Alex. Yeah, we lost Alex. I'll try to get him back. I don't know if I could invite him in the middle of a meeting though. He should just be able to click the link again because it's the same meeting. Oh yeah, duh. Yeah, yeah, just click back on. 
So yeah, that's why Alex isn't talking. So we'll just tell him to click. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to get us off on our uh, on our on no, my small ball. That's, that's, that's totally okay. No, I, I, it needed to be said. I had oh, yeah. to stay on brand. No, well, I, I next, yeah, uh, we just had a text from Alex pop up. WTF? And I looked at it, like, oh, Alex is in here. Uh, the second part of that question is what's uh, what are Creighton's chances of landing DJ Carton, the the uh, point guard at Ohio State? Yeah, I have no idea what's going on with that kid right now. Does yeah, like he hasn't even, I don't. I haven't heard much about his recruitment at yeah, all. Honestly, it's been quiet for a while. Yeah, I, so heard, I wish I could. I heard, and I don't know if this is true. I heard that his. Just say like, it. Just say it anyway. <laughs> well, that's what I do. Um, I think I heard his grandmother passed away a couple weeks ago, and that kind of stalled his recruitment. Uh, but, I mean, it, you have to imagine the loss of Tyshawn. I mean, it opens up minutes for everybody. It can't hurt their chances to get DJ Carton, right? I mean, I don't know where they stand with him, but having more minutes available, especially for a guy that a lot of people think would get a waiver – that can't hurt their chances. I mean, what position does he want to play, though? Point guard. I don't know. Because he's not doing that at Creighton. Yeah, that's kind. Of, that's the bigger issue here, I think. Tyshawn, yeah, you could you could put two point guards out there and play that, and that's how you, I think you would sell it to him. But I I just don't think the fit is quite there. Like, yeah, you take the talent if you can get it, but I just don't think that's going to work out Creighton's favor. Just kind of the way the situation looks right now for both sides. I just don't think it's a great fit. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, if they get him and, uh, you know. If he was good. sitting if they, out, it would be If different. they get him, then he doesn't mind sticking it out and playing with or behind Marcus. It's a good heir apparent, at least in the yeah. short term for, you know, and if we all think Marcus is likely have has one more year left, right? So. Oh. Alex is back, but muted. Yeah, he muted himself. So, yeah. oh, hey, hi, Wait. Alex. Wait, can you hear me? Yeah, we can we hear can. you. Yay. Yes. Welcome back. <laughs> Damn this Cox internet. It's all right. We just, we just have one more topic, and I think it should take us off the rails anyway. So the last oh, one is, uh, the last one is Blue Jay Buff wants to know, should Creighton get black uniforms next season? No, Ooh, black I don't uniforms? think they should. Yeah, I don't like. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't like that. Do you guys? I'm, like all, that? I'm in on the black uniforms. Give You're me the in black, on black uniforms. uniforms. Absolutely. No, lean, lean into the the, the baby blues. Those that's are what nice. I'm saying. They haven't used the baby blues as much as they should be using them. That's why I, I like the baby. Yeah, blues. I think black is kind of a blue thing. Well, you're trying to make Alex O'Connell feel at home. Well, then you definitely don't want to make remind him of Duke. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you want to remind him of Duke at this point, right? Or oh, like, shoot. You know, PTSD? Yeah, it's not good. I like oh, the they Blues a lot. They, they got to do script Creighton on the front. Ooh. Like old school. They got to do some throwbacks. I like that. I like that. Throwbacks would be sick. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, black people are the most cool. I mean, black, black and blue. I think always looks cool. I just don't know. I want to see more baby blue first. Let me, let me, let me get like my fill of the baby blue jerseys before you like start throwing more alternates at me. All right, just give I want to see a season where they wear the baby blues as much as they wore those stupid gray ones. In- see, give me the baby blues over the gray. I'm, I don't like. Totally the- agree. I totally agree. Yeah, yeah gray is not a good 
after the color. I don't know why gray was like the alternate color of choice. I had, I don't understand why that thing became. It was because they played well in them and they were all superstitious. But the baby blues look sick. I think a black is better than a gray, but for sure get rid of the gray. Yeah, totally agree. I'm not. I'm yeah. not big. I'm not big on the gray. I know the Jays and Grays poor hashtag, but we can retire that one. <laughs> well, in in Creighton, other than maybe DePaul. Are the only two teams that don't wear throwbacks? Because I think Georgetown did. Well, no, Georgetown has those weird teal ones. It don't make any yeah. sense. Right. <laughs> Nothing they, Georgetown doesn't some... make sense. I like Seton Hall. Well, Seton Hall and Villanova's throwbacks are pretty sick. Yeah, I like Villanova. Yeah. yeah. Well, Xavier's are too. Oh, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. I think I'm Xavier's throwbacks because they have Seton Hall colors or whatever. There's a lot of blue in the Big East. Yeah. You know who, like, used to rock the uniform game pretty good in the Big East and now sucks at it is Marquette. Yeah, yeah it's because they – didn't they switch? I think they switched from Jordan to Under Armour. Right. Yeah, that's yeah, Marquette issue. used to have, like – I know growing up and everything like oh. that, and in high school, Marquette's uniforms used to be badass. And then, like yeah. – and then once they got into the Big East, I, like, uniform. hate Marquette's uniforms. They're just terrible. Well, hold on. Marquette's still Jordan brand. Are they? I guarantee it, yeah. Both, so Marquette and Georgetown are both Jordan switched. brand? I thought they switched, too. I thought Marquette switched. No, they're not Under Armour. They're they're both Jordan brand. Uh-huh. Both Georgetown and Marquette are Jordan brand. I guarantee well, Marquette, it. Well, Marquette's jerseys are terrible. Uh, first of all, I don't like the way they fit. And then they wear those black ones, which are terrible. Like, those are just ugly. Yeah, those don't make any sense. How does that fit into their color scheme? I don't know either, right? That's See, that's the one where I'm like, I'm out on black because Marquette went black this year a couple times, and I'm like, that just looks bad. Because they right. kept the baby blue, they kept the yellow or the gold or whatever they call it, and then they just made black the dominant color with the other ones. And it's like, that looks terrible. You guys look like clowns. Right. They definitely need – I mean, there needs to be more white jerseys. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> Alex out here advocating for more whites, as always. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I didn't mean it like that, okay? I feel like you did, because you went right into this. <laughs> I, for one, in pro-black jerseys, just to <laughs> contrast with Alex here. Look, all I'm saying is that white jerseys matter. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I think black and white jerseys both look both look good. <laughs> I think all jerseys look it's good. It's just a, listen, baby blue is a super neutral color, so let's just all agree that's the best color. Yeah, we, but baby blues with some script font on it, I'd yeah. be all about oh it. Oh my god! Give that. Yeah. What? You know what I was a big the uniforms I was a big fan of was were the uh, the ones Creighton wore in the NCAA tournament. Uh, in 2014, in this, uh, their senior year or whatever, the first year in the Big East. Like, I thought those were, like, a really good look. I guess Nike screwed those up or something, right, though, because they didn't fit the players right, which may, might explain the Baylor game. But um, Yeah, I don't think ill-fitting jerseys explains the Baylor game. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that's why they lost that's why they lost by 30. They couldn't lift their arms above their shoulders. Um, unless the jerseys were, like, also laced with laxatives, I don't think that's a, <laughs> I don't think that's a factor. But, 
<laughs> Wait, they wore gray jerseys against Baylor in 2014. It, 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 it like lined their blood with Excedrin PM, and they just all became drowsy at a tip off. Oh, I meant more that they like pooped the game down their leg. But, well, I mean, was it, was it like pooping the game down their leg, or was it Baylor like just wiping them off the floor? Matt, you said you like those jerseys, but you just spent five minutes saying how you don't like gray. They wore gray jersey together. That was the that was the that gray was better than the gray they wore though. Well, that, I'm was against, more, that was more like of a legit silver. I'm against all grays now because I'm scarred from that experience. Oh, is that why? Well, I just think they look stupid. Also, I do too. <laughs> the incorporation of the feather down the side of the jersey—that's nice. Yeah. I think the, the year that they made the NCAA tournament for the first time with Rodney Buford in them, um, they had, like, a black stripe that went from, like, the armpit down to the shorts or whatever, and it, like, all connected and lined up. That was a pretty good look. Can we go back to the, uh, like, Kyle Korver block letter Creighton that those jerseys probably weighed, like, 25 pounds because that stuff was stitched on there? <laughs> You ever held one of those old jerseys? They're super freaking heavy. How about like how about like Cavell Witter baggy shorts era? There we go. No, go <laughs> go find a go find a picture of Nick Baugh baggy shorts era. All right, that bro was wearing yeah. like baggy capris. That dude was wearing like that, that dude was wearing like pirate pants. He was Cavell Witter's teammate, bro. That's the same one. Yeah, but it looks funnier yeah. on Nick because he's white. <laughs> um, you keep going, keep ringing that bell, huh? Yep. <laughs> who's who's going to be the first Creighton player to wear the short shorts? Like half the St. John's team does. Like to roll up their shorts to where it's like mid thigh. Mm. Alex O'Connell feels like a real good bet. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. I was thinking Christian Bishop might rock that. You know, some... Alex O'Connell has like a pair of the a pair of those chubby shorts for when he goes out on the yacht. Like that dude is for sure rocking the short shorts. It's true. With his boat shoes. Exactly. You know he's wearing boat shoes. Yep. Some I'm... salmon, some salmon chubbies. <laughs> he got from the Banana Republic. A vineyard vine sweater. You know, oh God! I don't think we had a really good off the rails conversation going here, so I think we should just cut this one off. And yeah, try, I think we'll try good. to do better next time. You know what I mean? But we're all a little bit rusty. It's our first podcast of the quarantine, or I guess Robbie and I did one, but we were just basically making fun of Nick Wright at that point for forty-five minutes. That's accurate. <laughs> yeah, I feel good about that. Yeah, that was a, that was a good that was a good topic that carried us for a long time. It's an easy target. It yeah. really is. It's. I felt bad. It's kind of like uh, shooting a fish in a barrel there, but don't feel bad. I think he's making. He's doing well for himself. To make yeah, himself look like an idiot on TV every day. So I'm sure he's fine with that. We should totally do Robbie's podcast for like episode recaps of the Last Dance when that premieres on the 19th, and just every night we should just do episode recaps and let me fawn over Michael Jordan. Yeah, it's like. Almost a week out. Yeah, it's next week, right? I know. I'm super pumped. Yeah, I'm excited. I think they're doing two episodes a week for five weeks. Is that what I? Read? Yeah, they're doing they're doing back to back episodes every week for five. Yeah. Yeah, that's. Wow. I'm pumped. They maybe should have stretched that out a bit. I don't know if the quarantine's going to be over in five weeks. <laughs> Just replay it, bro. Replay it. <laughs> um, 
All right. Well, uh, thanks, guys, for coming on. I appreciate it. Uh, I know we've been That's trying it? to happen for a little bit. Let's see. Hopefully, this Zoom stuff works out pretty good because we can do this more often. Thank you, Zoom, for letting us go over 40. Yeah. Yeah, I think we definitely hit the over on that by quite a bit. Yeah, the 45-year-old government official who was watching this the whole time. Appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot. <laughs> I mean, I didn't even join the podcast until like the 37-minute mark, so. <laughs> if only we had recorded everything up to that point. Um, Sorry, man. I was really into my pizza. That's all good. I respect it. Um, so, yeah, for Robbie Lula, 1620 The Zone and his own podcast, where is it at? Uh, it's heavy lifting with Robbie Lula on all the podcast platforms, or you can go to RobbieLulaRadio.com. Cool. Uh, Jacob Badilla at HaleVarsity.com and Alex Sindelar, who basically is whoring himself out to every blog in sight, uh, be it Big East Coast Bias, White and Blue Review, uh, Mid-Major Madness now. Anybody, did I miss anyone? Um, New York Times. Royals, uh, Royals, Royals Review. Uh, Royals Review. Um what are the blogs? Uh, Deadspin, uh, Sports Illustrated. Uh, who else has completely been bought out or is no longer in completely defunct? Um, like the Curse of Cinderella. Curse of Cinderella, basically. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, just I mean, w, just Google search uh, internet content, and I'll probably pop up. <laughs> All right, appreciate it, fellas. Have a good one. All right. See you. See you.